2: I'm Brian Sullivan. And tonight, Elon Musk taking aim at a big critic with a lawsuit. Now, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton opening an investigation. He will join us. Almost no one is buying a home right now, but home prices keep going up. How? And For how long? NVIDIA sales are surging, but shares are not right now. We're gonna dive into what may be the most important stock in the world. Plus, NVIDIA partnering with a company that could use AI to literally save lives. The founder of that company is here. And you can't be serious. Why tennis legend John McEnroe is partnering with a new kind of racket makes almost no noise. He's here to explain how it works. That and much more across this Thanksgiving Eve Eve hour. It's so a belly-up or buckle-up. Last call is up right now. All right. Good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. We have got a packed show for you tonight. But as you saw from the snazzy animation, we got a developing story, as we call it in the biz. And it's another black eye for crypto. Chang Pang Zhao, known in the business as CZ, the CEO of Binance, is suddenly stepping down and pleading guilty to money laundering. The company will pay more than four billion dollars in damages and hope to stay operational. This is another shockwave in the world of crypto And it means that the two biggest names in the crypto world, Sam Bankman-Fried and now Changpeng Zhao, are out and both could be headed to jail. Kate Rooney is here with the very latest. Kate.
3: Hi, Brian. So that guilty plea you mentioned caps off a multi-year investigation into the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange and its outspoken founder. It's the latest move by the Department of Justice to crack down on crypto following FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. The Treasury Department, which was also involved here, says Binance's $4.3 billion fine is the largest penalty ever paid to that agency.
4: Binance prioritized its profits over the safety of the American people. In part because of the crimes it committed, Binance became the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world. Now, Binance is paying one of the largest corporate penalties in U.S. history.
3: CZ, as the CEO is also known, appeared in a Seattle courthouse today, and he's stepping down as part of that plea agreement. He has not been sentenced yet. In a post on X, he said he, quote, must take responsibility and that it was not easy to let go emotionally of the company that he founded, CZ will pay a $50 million fine. As part of that $4 billion penalty, the company is appointing a new CEO, Richard Tang. He did try to try uh, to draw a line rather between what happened over at Binance and then what happened with Sam Bankman-Fried, pointing out in a post that U.S. agencies did not allege Binance misappropriated any user funds or engaged in market manipulation. The DOJ did, however, outline some of the crimes facilitated through Binance, including transactions that aided child sexual abuse, terrorist financing, and then sanctions violations. Those who are now left in this industry, in the crypto industry, tell me that a resolution of this Binance investigation, it could be a good thing, letting the industry move forward. Here's what Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, told me earlier.
5: It has been frustrating at times. We've seen competitors come on the scenes and not take that approach. Um, sometimes they're able to offer products that you know, we didn't think was legal. And in this environment, we're seeing that regulators are finally acting and they're creating that level playing field. So I think this is vindicating of our strategy.
3: Bitcoin and crypto markets turn lower after all of this, but the industry is nothing if not optimistic. Brian, as Funstrat put it, Changpeng Zhao's guilty plea significantly reduces a major market risk. This outcome lays the groundwork for improved market stability and increased institutional interest in the space. They view any Binance related dips as buying opportunities. Brian.
2: Well, Kate, it, uh, it appears he's paying a $50 million fine and will actually be able to retain his ownership stake in Binance. So is this, is this the end of the story? I mean, he pays the fine, he's out, but he stays invested in it and we just move so, on from here?
3: So according to the plea deal, he is not supposed to be involved in the company for at least three years, but he will maintain a majority stake, meaning that he is still getting the financial upside of this company. And they've shut down, really, in the U.S., but their largest markets are in Asia. And I'm told this is an extremely profitable business. So the financial hit for him, some described it as a drop in the bucket. He is, by all accounts, a billionaire. He can likely afford a fine like this. And for him, you know, he is losing the company that he founded. It's obviously a big hit and a big financial penalty. But for him, he's still able to to maintain that ownership stake. And for the industry, there's a lot of optimism, as I mentioned, Brian, in terms of this being sort of in the background, it's now priced in, people are moving forward, and this was, in some ways, very much expected that the DOJ was going to go after mm. CZ at some point. And he, among other people, are trying to really draw a line between Sandbank but Freed, what happened at FTX. It's interesting that the reaction... Between the fallout of FTX and stealing customer funds versus what's happening with Binance, he's almost seen as a martyr at this point. There is not a lot of industry participants who will go after CZ. They're sort of saying, "Yeah, it's it's too bad what happened, but he's not you know, a criminal in, in that sense of the word." It's very interesting the stark difference between the reaction yeah. of what we saw with Sam Bankman-Fried. He's still very much admired and crypto space, from what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Although a lot of that transaction, you know, funneling money to terrorist organizations some child sex abuse allegations, hard to track. Uh, Kate Rooney, thank you very much. All right, let's bring in somebody who knows this company very well. Patrick Kilman is the former chief strategy officer for Binance and was arguably CZ's right-hand man. Patrick, thanks for joining us on Last Call. What's your take on what happened today?
1: Look, I think this is a very bittersweet moment, both for the company, for CZ, and the industry. I know Kate just talked about it, but you know, over the last year, the company has been you know derided and it has been accused of FTX-like crimes, market manipulation, stealing user funds, fraud, and you know today the government laid out its case, which was a good one, by the way. And none of those really um, you know uh, you know combative accusations or allegations are in there as they shouldn't be. Now, the reality is Binance made some serious mistakes in the early days. They did not have KYC. They should have. And for that reason, today's settlement is fair and the outcome is fair. And so I think for the most part, the industry sees this as an opportunity now to continue to move forward and grow. And it's going to be the same opportunity for Binance as a company as well.
2: You know, Reuters says that they broke a number of U.S. antitrust money laundering laws, as well as failed to report as many as 100,000 Suspicious transactions that occurred on that platform, Patrick, you were there. How hard is it for any company to, in crypto particularly, to identify what may be an illegal or dangerous or disgusting, whatever the transaction may be? Is it that difficult to identify the end use of some of these transactions?
1: Once you have KYC, it's actually very easy in crypto to identify it. You see, Crypto exchanges themselves, just like banks, they're not investigators, right? They're not in global intelligence, they're not law enforcement. They rely on intelligence and law enforcement to tell them this account is tied to um, a sex offender, it's tied to uh, a potential terrorist. And then once the law enforcement agency goes to the agency and goes to the, the exchange and tells them this account is compromised. Because a blockchain an exchange could not only lock down that wallet immediately But they're able to look across the network of every transaction that that wallet has engaged in and map out complex potential networks of criminality, which is something that is not afforded to law enforcement or the intelligence community in traditional finance, which frankly is a narrative that has really been lost. And so crypto is probably one of the greatest technological advances that has ever happened to the law enforcement field.
2: Yeah. No KYC, for those not in the know, know your customer, things like name, legal, you know, birth date, social security number, et cetera, I guess, to identify if, if my account for Binance wired a hundred thousand in crypto to somebody in, in Iran with, you know, unknown end purposes. But Patrick, what would you say to people sitting here watching CNBC right now that have been maybe poking around crypto or thinking about poking around crypto, and they see, you know, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, they see a couple others before that. They see this now. How should they have any confidence
1: in the industry? Look, Sam Bankman-Fried is not, um, is not a, a, an issue crypto. That was just good old-fashioned fraud in, in the words of the actual prosecutor. So I think we have to put that aside as hard as I know that is to do. I think today, though, looking at the reality of the allegation against Binance, and by the way, I assume that there are going to be other exchanges that will have similar allegations brought against them. When these companies launched, very few of them had KYC from the start. They did not see themselves as a global financial institution. They saw themselves as a startup that was basically selling these little tokens on a website. That's not the reality. And the government has been very clear in that now. And so this is just the first step, and what I think will be more to hold those exchanges accountable. But the reality is it's a very different industry today, and the industry will continue to grow. Patrick Kimlin, really
2: appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you very much, Patrick. Shabby, Brian. All right. Well, in the meantime, stocks, at least a couple of indexes, snapping five day win streaks. The Dow down about one-tenth of one percent, the S&P and the Nasdaq. They were down more, and they broke those five-day win streaks. Hey, it's been a great month so far. Can't go up every day. All right. The big winner of the day, lab equipment company Agilent Tech, up almost nine hours, beat earnings expectations, despite what its CEO called a, quote, challenging year. The biggest decliner was Jacobs Solutions, the engineering company, down nearly 9%, disappointing investors with its earnings up and down the exact same. All right. Up next, NVIDIA After Dark. All the news you can use on a very important stock. Plus, Texas AG Ken Paxton following Elon Musk's lead. Going after nonprofit media matters amid fraud allegations, Paxton will join us live on Last Call in moments.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package-less and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely positively,
3: FedEx.
0: It's okay if you aren't ready for kids right now. It's okay if you don't want to be a mom, now or even ever. It's nobody's decision but yours. But do you know what's not okay? Not knowing how effective your birth control is. Talk to your doctor about effective birth control options so you can make an informed decision. Tap to learn more.
2: All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the headlines you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning, CNBC style. First up. The Wall Street Journal is reporting the Strategic Organiz- Organizing Center, that's a coalition of labor unions, seeking three seats on Starbucks' corporate board. That could further ratchet up the tension between Starbucks and its workforce. According to people familiar with the matter, the group has already nominated three candidates for the board seats. Their names not disclosed in that report. Wow. For more on the story, let's bring in the Wall Street Journal Deputy Bureau Chief who got the scoop. That is Kara Lombardo. Lombardo. Great scoop. Thanks for joining us here on Last Call. We've seen labor organizing everywhere this year. I think this is the first time we have seen a labor union say, guess what? We want a seat or three seats on the corporate board. Kara, are you there? Because no one's ever, been, no one's ever been accused me of not being able to hear me. Well, we can't hear you. Carol Lombardo is going to get everything fixed. But that's the story, folks. I want you to think about that. We're going to go down to Christina and NVIDIA. We'll get Kara's audio situation. You know, maybe somebody cut the line. All right. In another Tomorrow's News Tonight headline, NVIDIA and its investors might have Janet Jackson on their mind. Because while the chipmaker reported third quarter revenue that tripled, many on Wall Street may soon be asking, that's nice, but what have you done for me lately? So what has investors feeling on edge despite arguably very strong results? Christina Partzinevelis joins us with the answer. Christina, can you hear me?
6: I was trying to Google uh, which album, if it was Rhythm Nation. But let's talk about... Oh, nasty. Okay. Let's talk about NVIDIA, because it was another beat across the board. Record revenues, uh, specifically with the data centers. That's NVIDIA's bread and butter. The stock, though, as you can see on your screen, not soaring on the news. And there's a few reasons for that. Firstly... Nvidia did admit that U.S. export controls, which keep in mind were expanded just this past October, will decline, quote, significantly in the fourth quarter of fiscal 2024, though they believe the decline will be more than offset by strong growth in other regions. The CFO you just saw on your screen right there, Colette Crass, adding on the earnings call, they do not have good visibility into the magnitude of that impact, even over the long term that's not a good sign right there. And China contributes roughly 20 to 25% of NVIDIA's data center revenue. Clearly, these export controls will remain a major overhang until the foreseeable future for this name. And that's also why Q4 guidance was $20 billion and not higher. Yes, 20 billion does sound like a lot, but the fact that China, uh, the export controls are hampering that a little bit. Speaking of Q4 guidance, it beat analyst estimates, yes, but often the stock can react more to buy side estimates. Those are the, the guys that buy women and Men who buy for hedge funds and can move markets with those particular positions. Well buy-side Q4 estimates were actually nineteen point five billion according to B of A, some even saying, you know, 21 billion. So that guidance that we got from NVIDIA wasn't that much higher. So that's another reason. And then you've got investors that are very concerned about data center demand beyond 2024. We keep hearing about this AI peak. Are we going to hit an AI peak? A lot of analysts on the call asked that. And CEO Jensen Wong assured investors tonight on that call that it could grow beyond 2025. Listen in.
7: We are expanding our supply uh,
1: quite significantly. Uh, We have already wanted the the uh, the broadest and largest and, and most capable supply chain in the world
6: and like we saw in q1 and q2 nvidia managed to still blow past revenue expectations look at that that's you know q1 11 higher q2 almost 21 percent higher this time around 12 percent. that's still high but yet the stock reaction is still tepid right now because that shows china remains a major concern for a lot of investors
2: all right i was wrong the album was Control. Not God. nasty. I, I, I retire. I hereby surrender the program to somebody better and smarter than I am. Uh, That's she was sad.
6: my favorite singer growing up, and I I fail. Well,
2: Why we not? all are a part of the Rhythm Nation. We know that. All right. That that aside, Christina, what was there any other business? NVIDIA used to be in, like, video games. All we do is talk about data centers and AI now. How did the other part of the business do?
6: Well, okay, so the categories, and we can bring that up. They do have other categories, but data centers is their bread and butter, right? You know, it's bringing in, you know, beyond $13 You can see data centers beat. Gaming actually came in stronger, which was a little bit of a surprise, because AMD's revenue declined 5% quarter over quarter, and AMD, a competitor, also warned December quarter would decline. So that was a strength for NVIDIA. Automotive, which a little typo over there, was a miss. That seemed like a weakness that we've seen across uh, the chip space overall. So you can see uh, the the uh, the categories that bring in money did well for NVIDIA, and that's uh, also helping this name.
2: I don't know if it's a typo. Maybe Automoti is a whole new segment. We don't know. This thing, things are changing so fast. Christina Parts and thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Now I understand we've got Kara Lombardo, The Wall Street Journal, all settled up. Kara, now can you hear me and can we hear you? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, it's fantastic. I love technology. It's probably NVIDIA behind the scenes. Anyway, that said, Kara, what can you tell us about a union that is basically demanding three seats on Starbucks corporate board?
4: Yeah, this is the first of its kind, this this proxy fight that's brewing. So what's happening is a group representing a bunch of unions, including the one that has workers at several hundred Starbucks cafes um, as part of it are filing to run a fight for three board seats at Starbucks. So they want to get on the board. They're arguing that the current board is not overseeing Starbucks relations with employees properly, and they want more say in that.
2: Is there any chance this happens? Has Starbucks issued a response?
4: You know, Starbucks obviously would prefer that the union not be organizing. They'd rather just work directly with the workers. They say they're making improvements themselves giving more money to baristas and the like. But, you know, what's interesting here is this group has a very small stake in Starbucks shares. What's really going to matter is can they win over big shareholders, the the vanguards and the block rocks of the world, and can they get them to support the cause? A lot of people would say it's hard to do with a small stake, you know, we've seen in recent years, companies like Exxon have had activists that owned very small portion of shares, but still had success.
2: Carol Lombardo, good scoop there. And uh, the ball is in Starbucks court. Kara, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. All right, now let's talk economy and the Fed, because your next guest has often been out there way on his own, saying the economy is going to be just fine. And guess what? He's also been right. And now he says all the apocalyptic doomsayers need to step aside or change their tune. David Zervos of Jeffries joining us now. He is their chief market strategist, making his last call debut, I think, and this is why we love you, okay? This is this is one of your official Wall Street notes. You don't write like other people do, or at least not most economists. So please do not fall for another one of those flawed demand-side, Armageddon-style recession calls next year. The economy may slow a bit, but all this Keynesian-inspired PC voodoo and witchcraft must be ignored. It is highly toxic for both your mental and financial health. Yes. What, are you, what are you really trying to say? I'm just... Trying to talk
8: about all the folks last year that told us that we needed to go to a six or seven percent unemployment rate to get inflation back to two percent by the end of 2024. And the reality is, inflation's at 3.2 and the unemployment rate's 3.9. And a lot of their Phillips curve based models, and I don't want to get too wonky with Mm -hmm. everybody, but you know, there there are these models that are based on these trade-offs between inflation and unemployment. One things. is demand.
2: One is demand, and side, their demand side. And, and the other, are, you are the supply side. I'm the supply side. They are, are the demand side. And, and why? I, how did they? Which is, by the way, probably the bulk of Wall Street get it
8: wrong. What did they miss? Because they tend not to look at the supply side, Brian. They tend to fall back on these demand side models that really are the, the. The, do the heavy lifting at the Fed. They do the heavy lifting at all of the universities. They are the, the kind of the thing you learn about in your Macroeconomics 101 class. And they've just been colossal failures over decades. And they tell us that in order to keep inflation in check, we've got to suffer with either high unemployment or low growth. And the reality is when you have a supply shock that drives inflation or drives the economy, it's actually the opposite. Remember the 90s. The 90s were great. We had low inflation and we had low unemployment we had a positive supply shock we had a productivity
2: shock we also had a fed that raised rates 250 basis points in 1994 and 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 the stock market rocketed in 95 absolutely
8: and we had a fed that stopped in 95 and actually cut in 95 because they didn't need to fight that inflation Mm -hmm. because we had this productivity miracle that alan greenspan was writing about or this new paradigm Mm -hmm. All, all i'll say is we had a really bad negative supply shock the COVID reopening, the Ukraine war, the zero COVID policy in China, that was a negative supply shock. And what we've been doing for the last five quarters is unwinding that. And that's a positive supply shock. And I think that's the story. I've so, been banging on that with clients now for a long time. A lot of people don't like to hear it, but it worked.
2: What I, I got a lot of takeaways. One of that is that apparently all the models at the best schools are wrong. I mean, why are people keeping... Why are we still teaching and learning these models at the Federal Reserve and all these textbooks and macroeconomics 301 that apparently, to your point, have been wrong for decades?
8: Well, because a lot of people built a lot of architecture around them and built careers around them, and they built oh, journals so, around that's them. That's amazing. Look, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Rochester-trained economist. We had, Chicago style, we had Chicago-style professors, supply-siders. Okay. Those were who we learned from, neoclassical economists, not Keynesian economists. And I, I think, Brian... The bulk of the policy making economists out there, the folks that populate the Brookings Institute, the Peterson Institute, the rest of these and the administration's economists and many administration's economists, they come from a different ilk. And look, I'm just not one of them. And so I try to look at it a little differently for our clients. Not always right, but I think we've had a really good call with the supply side story.
2: This I'm week. shocked at deeply ingrained quasi political organizations that support hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue. Don't change. That's a, that's a, please note sarcasm. Um, so, <laughs> is next year, Yeah. is 2024 1995, meaning we could have a darn good year again? Well, I, I think what 95 teaches you, 94, 95,
8: 96, 97 teaches you, is that if you get a real productivity story, which could be AI, could be what's happening in NVIDIA, could be, could be there, we don't know, and it doesn't feel the same as the 90s, but... Yeah, you can have higher rates and still have reasonably good stock market performance and strong growth. I think what we will have is a period of somewhat slower growth. Demand's going to be a little kicked back because of those higher rates, but in general, it's just not that bad out there for a variety of other reasons, particularly that Fed policy is not just about interest rates anymore. Another part of that note, another part of what I've been writing about this year with clients, is that the balance sheet is still very supportive, Mm -hmm. very accommodative. And a lot of people miss that, Brian. A lot of people miss that this year. Not you. And that's the story we've been spinning. And I still think an $8 trillion balance sheet, $8 trillion Fed balance sheet, when it used to be $800 billion in 2007, is actually a pretty stimulative Structure to keep in this account.
2: Listen, I, you slept out here. It's raining. The traffic is terrible. But somehow you're leaving us with a smile on our face. And I listen. I know there are people at at Jeffries that watch this show. Absolutely, some influential people. That we both. <laughs> and I think you deserve a raise. I'm just going to say well, that yeah. on the air right now, just before bonus time. i very kind. <laughs> That's, of you, isn't that nice of me, <laughs> David Zervos? Thank Thanks you very much. Got it right. Nailed it. All right. Still ahead. After accusations of hateful content next to advertisers, Elon Musk broke out the data. Claims the nonprofit Media Matters website made up or at best tried to game Twitter systems in order to get a specific result. Now Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is taking a look, and he is here live next.
0: It's okay if you aren't ready for kids right now. It's okay if you don't want to be a mom now or even ever. It's nobody's decision but yours. But do you know what's not okay? Not knowing how effective your birth control is. Talk to your doctor about effective birth control options so you can make an informed decision. Tap to learn more.
2: All right, welcome back to Last Call. The fallout following Elon Musk's controversial post on X is intensifying. A group of 27 Democratic lawmakers are accusing X, the ex-chief, of profiting... From anti-Israel propaganda, in a letter to Musk and ex-CEO Linda Yaccarino, lawmakers noted reports from nonprofit organizations that showed people with the ex-premium accounts are, quote, glorifying barbaric acts of violence against Israelis. letter comes a day after Musk's ex-sued Media Matters, which is a media watchdog platform, alleging that they defamed X after it published a report that claims ads on the platform are running alongside anti-Semitic or other hateful content. In a statement, Media Matters president wrote, quote, This is a frivolous lawsuit meant to bully X's critics into silence. Media Matters stands behind its reporting and looks forward to winning in court. Now, the ex lawsuit is not the only thing Media Matters is facing. The Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, also opening an investigation into the organization for possible fraudulent activity. For more, let's speak with the Republican Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton. Ken, uh, Attorney General, thank you very much for joining us. Um, what specifically are you looking for in this investigation?
7: so We have an obligation. I have four different responsibilities under the Texas Constitution. One of those is to look at any fraudulent activity of a corporation, and then we also oversee charitable organizations. So in this case, with Media Matters being a charitable organization, nonprofit, uh, we have the responsibility to make sure they're not doing things that are inappropriate or violating state law. We've started off with asking them questions and we're gonna ask them questions and whether that leads to anything else, be determined by their actual behavior and what information they turn over.
2: There are already people, of course, questioning the, I won't say the jurisdiction, but Texas's involvement, given that X, formerly known as Twitter, is a California-based corporation. What is the people and the state of Texas's interest in this?
7: Well, look, I mean, they, X operates in, uh, in Texas. It operates all over the world. And uh, Media Matters, what they do to X and the information that they've, they provide uh, affects Texans. So anything that affects Texans, we have an obligation to look at and that's that's what we're doing. So yeah, it doesn't matter where they're incorporated. If they're doing business in Texas, it becomes our interest.
2: Well, what, and it's very complicated. And of course, this is TV, so we don't have a lot of time, but as I understand it, uh, Attorney General Paxton, what, what X is alleging, and, and by the way, Media Matters is denying, I want to make that clear, is that Media Matters created a lot of fake accounts or a bunch of different accounts, followed a bunch of of accounts that might be around or involved in hateful content, and sort of almost gamed the algorithm to force a specific result. They deny it. Let's say they actually did that. Is that illegal in any way?
7: Yeah, I mean, it it depends on exactly what they did. If it's viewed as fraudulent activity under Texas law, then they can be accountable to the state of Texas for that. I mean, the reality is we're also, we have, we're in a lawsuit with uh, Twitter. We've been in a lawsuit with them for several years involving kind of the sim- similar inf- information that they might've created fake accounts several years ago that were deceptively providing information to advertisers and consumers about how big their audience is. So we've looked at actually both sides.
2: Yeah, because there are just regular users that probably have multiple accounts for multiple different, multiple different reasons. Would this be more of a criminal situation or a civil situation? Because I, I, can, I can go from A to Z. If it, if the allegations are accurate, you're damaging X's business by basically doing this and then writing about it and then spooking advertisers away.
7: Yeah, so for us, we don't have any authority to investigate or do anything criminally unless we're referred that by a local district attorney in Texas. So a district attorney in Texas would have to do the the investigation, refer us to either an investigation or a prosecution. Until then, everything that we're doing is completely civil related to what exactly what you're talking about.
2: Which is business damage from this report. Um, Attorney General Ken Paxton, will you keep us informed, please, of your progress on this? Because it is of keen interest to the media and it it matters, so pun intended, I suppose.
7: Absolutely, glad to come back on anytime.
2: Thank you very much, sir, appreciate that. And I believe we'll be getting uh, Media Matters a point of view on this hopefully very soon. All right, still ahead. Buying a house in this market may seem impossible and it's driving home sales to the lowest level in more than a decade. So why do prices keep going up in many places? Our A-list panel joins us next. All right, welcome back. It's a bit of a housing market mystery. According to the National Association of Realtors, home sales fell to a 13-year low last month. And because there are so few homes for sale, home prices are going up. They were up this month from the same month last year. The median price of an existing home sold in October, $391,000. Again, higher than last month, last year, although down a little bit from their COVID peak. Also of interest, the home builder ETF is up more than 35% this year, even with mortgage rates surging. So a lot of seemingly sort of mixed signals in real estate. Let's try to figure out exactly what is going on. Ankur Jain is the founder and CEO of Built Rewards. They're the first program that is built to earn loyalty points on paying your rent. You can pay your rent on the Built MasterCard as well. But more importantly, he's got real-time data on the state of the consumer. Also joining us, Skylar Olson, She is the chief economist at Zillow Group. Skylar, welcome back. Uh, Anchor, welcome back, or welcome, I should say. Skylar, are home prices going up, particularly at the high end, because there's so few homes for sale that when one comes up, the price is obviously going to go up because there's just desperate buyers out there?
9: Yeah, over the past year, home prices have increased, Zillow's home value index actually has it up over the year at around 1.8%. The way to think about this, because it does seem the a mystery with mortgage rates so high and that affordability, such a challenge, for the typical buyer, it's just that there one are enough buyers that can qualify and move forward. We have massive generations of potential first-time home buyers, a lot of the millennial generation, the economy is relatively strong, there's strong savings there. They're looking forward to move forward. The seller, though, is incredibly locked in, right? Most sellers hold around 3 to 4% mortgage rates. So even when mortgage rates were at 6%, the bulk of them felt locked in. Zillow has been tracking very mm-hmm. low levels of new listings through most of 2023. Things have changed a little bit, though. With mortgage rates up to 7.5%, the buyer is much more hesitant, less able even to qualify moving forward. The seller isn't necessarily more locked in and actually, might have suddenly thought like, "Hey, rates aren't going to fall, you know, tomorrow or the mm-hmm. next month." And so we've seen some supply return, but it's still keeping us at such a low level that prices are more or less maintained, but softening.
2: No point in selling if you have nowhere to go, I guess, unker uh, You know, listen, uh, y- you specialize in renting. You've got a very unique system with built and the rewards. Actually, getting reward points for paying your rent, so you get a lot of real-time data from the consumer out there, what do you make based on the data you're seeing of the housing market right now?
10: I mean, look, it's it's this interesting challenge. We're actually seeing that consumers are feeling the pinch, maybe more than what Skylar is referencing. I mean, we have seen, even in the rental markets today, for the first time, rents are starting to flatten a little bit. And we are seeing more people deal with late payments coming through than we have in the last two, three years. I mean, the last time we saw these types of late payments with some of their early COVID days. And so I, I actually think that you're seeing millennials as interest rates have gone up. Don't forget that also means credit card debt payments month over month are going up. Inflation, by the way, is hitting things like dining in a pretty big way. I mean, Brian, you're, you're out in New York. You can't get a pasta at most restaurants these days for less than double what it costed three, four years ago. And so all of those costs are pushing things up, and so you know that is now driving a lack of demand for home buying. Which then your brokers on the other side are telling everyone, "Hey, don't list your house on the market because if you're listing it now and it stays on market too long, you're not get the price. So just wait a little while till rates drop and people can free up some of that cash." Um, and so I think that's a big driver as well on the consumer side. All right, you can't afford to
2: have a house and a garden, so you just go to the Olive Garden. I think is what you're apparently you're <laughs> saying. What you're saying? I mean, even
10: Olive Garden. I don't think they have the dollar dollar menus anymore. I saw a commercial the other day from the old Olive Garden. I wish prices were that you know that cheap. It's, it's insane.
2: I, I completely agree, but that's a whole different segment. Skylar, is there any sign of things loosening up? I hear all about this. You know, people Airbnb buyers that are now getting d- destroyed, and so there may soon be a lot of new inventory new homes for not new homes but homes yeah. newly put on the market because airbnbers are getting blown out or is that internet bunk
9: i i think that one is you know certainly probably some interesting you know activity happening in like the vales of the u.s you know places sorry that's my zoom um you know <laughs> places that were heavy on uh the uh uh, you know, vacation <laughs> markets um, and, you know, very pandemic heavy. But I think the real silver lining, the place where we're looking to have, you know, a lot of relief is actually in kind of record high numbers of apartments for sale and then still elevated numbers. Oh, sorry about the Zoom features.
2: Um, no, no, no. Hold on. Hold uh, on. Hold you know, on. Hold, the on the hold on. Just on right? this, this whole show has been crazy, even behind the scenes. Did you just say Veil and, and your computer automatically put up a fake snowstorm? Is that what it happened? It did.
9: I think do it my, again. My it's really magic. I how handsy I am, you know, and, uh, you know, so I'll stop. Uh, maybe, no, I want uh, to see
10: if it works again. Veil. Vale. <laughs> hey, Siri. It doesn't do it all oh, the yeah, time. Yeah. I think those were fireworks, Brian. It was talking about the housing market prices maybe come down sometime, and the fireworks came out. Yeah. I am all for
9: that. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just meant there are some places where Airbnbs might come back to the for sale market. Honestly, they'll come back as long yeah. term rentals maybe first. Great, don't um, c- kill the music. Lots under construction.
2: Thank you, boy. That was quick. Maybe that was Siri. I don't know, guys. We, we are going to leave it there. That was a great conversation in so many ways pre-Thanksgiving. Anchor, Skyler, and by the way, as you guys may know, I've got tens of fans. I am beloved by hundreds of people, and I found that when I do this, I lose half my fans. Hey, Siri, play All I Want for Christmas Is You by Mariah oh, Carey. <laughs>
10: hey, it's good to see you, Brian. Thank Thanks you. for
2: coming. That went off. That, that worked in some people's homes. All right, coming up. You know, we're on the cusp of an AI revolution. But did you know that it's one that could actually help save your life? AI. I'll show you how next. All right. Welcome back to last call. There's been a lot of talk on this network about NVIDIA. Their earnings are out today. Everybody's focused on that side of the story. But there's another maybe more important side of the NVIDIA story. They just partnered with an AI firm called Sandbox AQ to help power the company's massive simulation software driven by, you guessed it, AI. It's complex stuff. But what that means in the real world is using platforms like Sandbox AQ, we can do things like run ultra-complex simulations for drug development or even chemical for batteries for EVs and maybe save lives, reduce the timeline for drug discovery, and reduce the need for Human Subjects. Jack Hittery, who was on this program a couple of months ago, is the CEO and founder of Sandbox AQ. Great to see you again, Jack. Congratulations on the NVIDIA deal. You're a super smart guy. In in real world, what does this deal mean for our viewers?
11: Brian, bottom line is it takes too long and it's too expensive to make life-saving medicines to hit Alzheimer's, to hit cancers, to hit Parkinson's. This partnership will begin to change that. How so? What this means is that using NVIDIA technology and CUDA, which is their firmware library, and our software at Sandbox AQ, we're gonna make a digital twin of these drug candidates and then run millions and then billions of simulations using this hardware-software combination. That means we can take the average time that it takes to make a drug from 13, 14 years down to a handful of years. It means that we can take the average of three, four billion dollars that it takes to make Mm. one drug bring that down to a few hundred million dollars. That's a
2: dramatic change that we're intending to make happen with this collaboration. And it's not just drugs, it's things like I tried to, you know, elucidate like the EV batteries. What other applications could this dramatically reduce the time and expense for?
11: Look at what's happening right now with EVs. Look at how China is ascendant right now, making most of the EVs in the world, overtaking other companies. And the batteries. Right. And the batteries is what literally drives that. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get leapfrog technologies in terms of batteries? We've been stuck with lithium ion now for 40 years. It's not a, Thank
2: you. It's not a new technology.
11: Right. People are acting ex- like some new thing. Exactly. Like, and 80% of the lithium is processed in one country for battery-grade lithium. Guess where that is?
2: Uh, I'm guessing China, Jack? You, you got
11: it. For 400? Exactly. So how do we get beyond that technology? How do we look at different elements, aluminum, zinc, to use, more abundant elements to use for battery technology? Also, when it comes to construction materials, we haven't changed construction materials in literally Mm -hmm. 100 years. Again, this collaboration between NVIDIA and ourselves at Sandbox AQ,
2: this will help unlock that. Now, well, we talk- why NVIDIA, Jack? Is there, and I listened to an interview on, on Closing Bell, on the driving in here, and they, they talked with an analyst who said, basically, NVIDIA is just that far ahead. Yeah. That's the reason. Here's
11: what I would say. GPUs, Brian, are the new oil. That's the bottom line. GPUs, these chips from NVIDIA, initially made for graphics mm-hmm. and then for AI, now have a third use. This third use is the word simulation. Simulation means that we can actually take the drugs, the battery chemistry, and we can simulate it using the same exact chips. NVIDIA makes the best chips, and as you know, they just uh, had their earnings announcement and beat consensus. They had $18.1 billion in revenue compared to consensus of 16, 402 on the EPS side compared to consensus of 301. So you can see that there's a drive to use these chips. And in fact, these chips are now not only driving the LLMs, we'll talk maybe about uh, OpenAI a bit and large language models, but also now this equally important aspect of AI and computing called Simulation.
2: I love it. And I'll tell you what, we do not have time to talk about the open AI language model tonight. However, given your giant brain and, and involvement in the industry, I'd love to get you back on to talk about where this industry goes in general, Jack, and how it can not blow itself to smithereens. How about yeah. that? Next time? It's a very exciting moment. Thank you. And next time we'll actually put the pieces back together. Again, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. It looks like an open AI. Yep. Let's see if we can get it back together. Jack Kittery, Sandbox AQ, great stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks, Appreciate Brad. it. Happy holidays. All right, coming up despite pickleball's massive popularity, the back and forth pop, 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 pop sound driving people nuts. John McEnroe is doing something about it. He's here next. Welcome back to Last Call. Pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America. Yes, pickleball. 36 million people played the game last year. But there is a big problem that may be holding this sport back it's too noisy. You hear that sound playing right now? That has led to 911 calls, lawsuits, and apparently even a hunger strike in neighborhoods across America. It's ridiculous. But a pickleball paddle company may have found a solution. And that is this it is called the Owl Shh. It is a pickleball paddle that reduces the sound of games by half. And it just got a big endorsement from one of the greatest tennis players of all time. That, of course, is Mr. John McEnroe, seven times Singles Grand Slam champion and Owl Sport spokesperson. Uh, John, it's great to have you on last call. Normally, we're not, you know, doing like product stuff, but the, the sound of pickleball is a real
5: problem. Yeah, they they probably should have gotten Bjorn Borg because he was very quiet on the tennis court, but they instead chose (laughs) someone who was rather loud on the court. But I think, as you pointed out in your opening, that one of the biggest complaints, if not the biggest, is the sound of that plastic ball. There's a certain beauty to a tennis ball when it's struck with ferocity, but you couldn't say the same about pickleball. So I think actually the owls onto something because uh, if it's 50% less loud, that's going to make a lot of homeowners happier than be able to sleep at night. So uh, I think this is going to be a good thing for the sport.
2: Yeah. I'm going to read a little bit here. This is, there was an article a couple of months ago, John in the New York times about pickleball. Here's what some people quoted in the New York times had to say about the noise. It's like having a pistol range in your backyard it's a torture technique, said another guy. And old Debbie in Phoenix said, living here is hell. Now, of course, th- those are a little bit extreme, I think. But for those not initiated, like, how is
5: this? Are we overblowing the sound of pickleball? Well, I mean, <laughs> those might have been fellow tennis players that were, you know, perhaps wondering where our sport was headed. And I'm, hopefully, I'm hopeful, actually, that it helps ball sports. I think that's a little bit over the top. I mean, for someone who's known for at times going a little over the top myself, I think <laughs> that you can't quite compare it to what you just talked about. But yeah, living here it, is hell. You have a pickleball it, court it, in your it, backyard. It, that's it, not it, hell. It's it's not hell, but it's you know it can be annoyingly loud, and um, you know it's causing some clashes uh, uh, between the two sports. But uh, I think ultimately we would be both be better off if we live happily ever after.
2: So we got the owl. It's going to cut the noise by half. That's a big win. I want to go back to what you just said, though. You're a tennis guy, obviously. You said you hope both tennis and pickleball can succeed. But I'm watching in my own neighborhood some tennis courts that are being transformed into pickleball courts as a tennis guy. How do you feel about that?
5: Well, you know, I I don't feel that good about it um, because... Uh, I'm seeing that myself and even some at my own tennis academy. There was, I'm like, what? You cannot. No, I don't even want to finish that phrase. Uh, it's too obvious. <laughs> um, and you can get more people. You know, I, there's a court at my academy where they got four pickleball courts on one tennis court. So you can imagine the people that run these places, I are mean, They, you know, they're looking at, you know, something other than maybe what's best for the sport of tennis, looking for a couple extra bucks. Um, but you know to me ultimately you it takes a while longer it's uh, pickleball is a game you can pick up a lot easier so I can play with my friends they you know they think they can beat me and it certainly is an equalizer whereas tennis you know the process to get to that level if you want to be a pro is a lot harder so that's why I think you're seeing these courts change the up pickle- courts it's sort of a damn shame that We can't have both be win-win in in my mind. I think ultimately that's the solution. You know, to me, you know, I made my living as a tennis player. I love the sport of tennis. It's like the king of all sports. And there was always talk way back when, racquetball, squash, paddle, this, that, now pickleball. You know, and I always look and say, well, how does that compare to tennis? And none of them to me ultimately are that favorable. But pickleball is really, as you pointed out, a lot of people are playing. Um, they just got to be careful. Yeah. You got to make sure you, you know, get, get a stretch in before because a lot of people that aren't very athletic are playing. And so uh, you don't want doctors to make more money than they're already making.
2: And, yeah, I, I agree. Listen, I'll never be good at tennis, but I can be serviceable, pun intended, at pickleball very quickly. And now I know, John how I can do pickleball quietly so my neighbors don't think they're living in hell. Well, that's it for Last Call Tonight. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great one.
0: It's okay if you aren't ready for kids right now. It's okay if you don't want to be a mom now or even ever. It's nobody's decision but yours. But do you know what's not okay? Not knowing how effective your birth control is, Talk to your doctor about effective birth control options so you can make an informed decision. Tap to learn more.